all the bad things in the world, it's good we can come and talk about anger. Right, Nick? Hey, uh, elementary guys, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed, guys and gals. I want to start today by uh, taking a look at the first part of Psalm 4.4. It says this, In your anger, do not sin. So we see from the very beginning back in the Old Testament that anger is a legitimate emotion. It's something that we are given free reign to, uh, to experience. But it also comes with this really tricky parameter, right? It says while you're experiencing it, don't let it lead you to sin. I don't know about you, um, but pretty much every time I'm angry, I'm sinning. Okay? And I'm not really a person, those of you that know me, I don't really get very angry. I'm a pretty just even keel, kind of stoic guy. I think I used up all my anger in my childhood. Um, if you guys, probably the best caricature of me as a, as a grade school, middle school kid is Tanner Boyle from Bad News Bears. You know, the little shortstop with the long blonde hair, because that's what I looked like. I had hair down to here. You know how he's throwing his glove and cussing and kicking. And I mean, that was me. I was a playground tyrant. Um, Middle school, uh, especially on the tennis court for some reason, my cousin and I started playing tennis. We're like three months apart, and we were just like oil and water. I mean, we went at it, and we were pretty evenly matched, and we would have these long battles for hours in the summer in the middle of the heat of the day. And our, our hero at that time, both of us loved John McEnroe. If you know John McEnroe, he was just crazy, intense, and just breaking stuff, and that was us. I mean, we'd hit a bad shot or something, and we thought the other person was cheating. I mean, I don't know how many rackets I broke. I mean, F-bombs. I mean, as loud as you can scream it. I mean, literally, that was me as a youth. So I think I really got all of that out of my system because I just don't go there much anymore. So on the rare occasion that I am a bit peeved in my life, I don't know that I ever get really that angry, it's always exposing something going on in my heart beneath the surface. And, And that's not good. So... Since our series is on the way of Jesus, I wanted to take a look today then, how did Jesus navigate this tricky emotion of anger and do it without sinning? Because we know that he didn't sin, right? In Hebrews um, 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let's see how that played out in Jesus' life, what we can learn from him. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 3. It's page 700 in your pew Bibles. Last week we... We saw that Jesus had started teaching and healing. We talked about the fact that he continually took his disciples into the synagogue. When we go to a new town in Jewish culture, the synagogue was like their church is to us. He would go in there and he would teach. And so he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the church day for them, which was Saturday. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, some of the religious leaders. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus Jesus said to the man 
with the shriveled hand. Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them when anger, with, with anger, I'm sorry, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And so the Pharisees were these religious leaders that took the rules and they added to them to try to be as, as pious as they could be, as spiritual as they could be. And, and there was a part of it that was good, but part of it was kind of over the top. And so they had all kinds of regulations about what you could do on the Sabbath. And the whole idea was that the Sabbath was supposed to be a rest day, but they kind of took it to the 10,000th degree to where you couldn't even, you know, bend over to whatever, pick up something in your yard. Like that was not resting enough. So so he, he was in this tension that he created there where he's like, I wonder what they're going to do. And you see Jesus kind of intentionally giving these religious leaders this opportunity. This is an opportunity to do something that seems like it should be an easy choice, right? Heal this guy's hand. But instead, they, they choose the rules over love. And we know that Jesus is doing this intentionally because he could have done it any day of the week. Or he didn't have to do it at all. Right, But he intentionally chooses a Sabbath in this particular situation and says, you know, in essence, guys, what do you think here? And they refuse to answer his question, and they're just entrenched in their stubbornness that they, they don't like Jesus, and, and they want to get back at him and, and plot to kill him, as it says. And so Jesus gets angry. Now, one of the most other probably known situations in the Gospels where you've kind of heard of Jesus being angry is in the temple in Jerusalem, right? He goes in there, and uh, they're selling the sacrificial animals that the people have to come to the temple for these different holidays and festivals, and they're charging this enormous profit for these pilgrims that have traveled a long way and maybe didn't want to carry the doves and pigeons with them or, or the sheep and, and to, to sacrifice, and so they're making money in the temple of God, and Jesus just freaks out and says, this is a house of prayer, now you've turned it into a den of thieves, and he goes and he starts turning over their tables. And it's a little difficult for us to imagine and picture this Jesus that gets really riled up and starts trashing the joint, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around that being Jesus. We see him holding lambs and petting kids' heads and who knows what, you know? So, um, so he gets fired up in this situation. But then the, really the even more troubling thing to try to discern is how does he do that without sinning? How does he get angry and not sin? How does that work? And so in order to get our minds around Jesus' anger, we have to examine what was it that he chose to get angry about? Because I think that's pretty key. And in both instances that we just talked about, it was times when his people were missing the point about what faith is all about. Times when they were missing the point in the process of not only missing the point, they were also loading down burdens on people. You know, making religion about rules. You know, uh, taking advantage of, of these poor pilgrims coming to Jerusalem and, and overcharging them for these sacrificial animals. And these were people that Jesus cared about, the common people. And, and there were folks that were taking advantage of them. And in, in the synagogue and in the temple, it grieved and angered Jesus that the hearts of his people were so far from God. And in Jesus' mind, I'm sure that he was thinking, guys, there are so many things that you all should be worried about right now. Me healing this guy whose hand is shriveled and obviously needs to be healed should not be at the top of your list. There are plenty of other things that you are missing the point on. So when we get angry, a legitimate emotional response that we're going to have from time to time, what is it that triggers us most? 
What is it that triggers us? Like Jesus, is it because our hearts are broken? Because we long to see people healed and transformed and, and, and to receive the gospel as good news? Is that why we get angry most of the time? I wish I could say that. Most of the time when I get angry, it's because I feel like I've been offended in some way. Or that somebody's intentionally harmed me or hurt me in some way, right? So again, are we getting angry over the right things? Are we getting angry over the hardness of people's hearts? Are we getting angry maybe over systems of injustice in our world? You see uh, guys like Martin Luther King Jr. got very angry at times, right? And listen to, listen to what he had to say as he was embroiled in this battle for racial equality. This is one of his quotes. He says, if I wish to compose or write or pray or preach well, I must be angry. Then all the blood in my veins is stirred and my understanding is sharpened. So for him, there was this sense of, it's, well, if it's a righteous anger, then it kind of helps me um, stay sharpened and keep my uh, senses sharpened for the fight. But it also didn't take him down the path of like Malcolm X, who just said, every white person's horrible, right? He was able to focus on the system of injustice instead of just necessarily the people involved in it and what allowed the inequality to continue. So there are certain things in this world that ought to make us angry, right? Certain things in this world that ought to make us angry. I read a quote this week that said this, he, he that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause also sins, And I would say that's probably my greater sin (laughs) is that I don't get angry enough about the things that ought to disturb me, about the injustice in this world and how I contribute to that. But as I've said, most of the time that we are angry, it's not nearly as righteous as Jesus or Martin Luther King Jr. It's usually over much more petty things and a lot of times kind of reveals a shallowness, at least in my heart. And the problem of, of misguided anger has been around forever. Uh, You can go all the way back to, I found a quote by Aristotle centuries and centuries ago. He said this, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. That's a pretty profound quote, isn't it? Some folks here at Wellspring are currently going through a book study on this book called Unoffendable, right? How many folks are reading that? Or where are the folks, some of the folks that are sitting over there? And so I knew they were reading this, and so I just Googled, like, what are some quotes from that book? There's some really good stuff in there. The author's name is Brent Hansen, and uh, here's one of the things that he said. He says, anger is extraordinarily easy. It's our default setting. Love is very difficult. Love is a miracle. So if you want to think about this on a deeper level, why is, why is anger so easy compared to love? What do you guys think? Why is anger so easy? Yeah. Okay. It's our natural instinct as, as people. What else? Yes, Dave. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, he said anger sometimes is quicker to fire in us maybe than love. Yeah. Anger is the most uncomfortable emotion and it keeps us from feeling the pain and the hurt of the situation and identifying what's really going on inside of us. Okay. So anger is maybe the kind of the quickest emotion that doesn't really take us to the, the, the more deeper depths of understanding what's going on beneath the surface. We just get angry and then we figure like, well, we've dealt with that. I got really emotional. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. So we're, we're more selfish in nature. And when you're selfish, it, it's easier to be offended. And when you're offended, it's easier to go to anger. And love is selfless. And it's, it's a harder emotion or something to express because we are generally self-centered people. Those are great. Good thoughts. And Paul's famous passage on the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13, we've probably heard that many times. He writes many things about what love is. He says love is patient, love is kind, it always protects, it always serves, it always trusts, it always hopes. But then he also says what love is not. He says love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. He goes on in the book of Ephesians to give us some very practical advice about how to deal with anger, especially the non-righteous kind that many times leads to sin. So I want you to flip over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It's page 816. Just as a side note as we're turning there, so hopefully what I shared a little bit earlier kind of puts us all in the same boat because there's some people in here that be like, I don't really get angry. I'm not a very angry person, so I'm just going to kind of tone this service out, right? But when you lump in also like that you ought to be angry about some things that you aren't, then we're all in the same boat. So everybody should be listening today, right? Nobody's off the hook, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 26, he quotes Psalm 4.4 that we looked earlier. He says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, And do not give the devil a foothold. How many hours of sleep have you lost laying awake at bed at night, stewing over and over that thing that that person said, that circumstance, that situation, and just digging your heels in farther and farther? Right? Some of you might be hitting your spouse because like, hey, you kept me up at night doing that all the time, right? And in the midst of it, justifying our right to be angry in that particular situation. And I heard one pastor this week on this topic say that anger crosses the line into sin when we begin to cherish that anger. When it becomes something that we don't even really want to let go of, <laughs> Because we kind of like the way it makes us feel in terms of being right or justified. When it's become too important to us. Something we don't even want to get over. So in order to keep us from cherishing it, Paul puts a cap on it. Right? He says, don't let your anger bleed over into the next day. 
that's pretty tough, right? But I thought about this. You know, the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. Shouldn't ours be? God's mercies are new every morning for us. Shouldn't ours be for others? If God is continually gracious to us and doesn't hang on to our sins, shouldn't we let go as well? And there's a real danger physiologically um, that comes from hanging on to our anger too long. I read an article this past week that talked about our brain and how our brain functions when we um, ruminate and obsess and recycle our angry thoughts over and over again and how it kind of lays down a hardwired track in our minds um, over time. And they kind of gave this illustration of, of making a path in the woods. And so if you think about going through a section of the woods that is, had, nobody's gone through before where there's no trail, right? The first time you go through it, you're, it's, it's kind of dangerous and things are scratching up against you and you're making your way. You're not sure where you're stepping. You can't see beneath the foliage, right? And even to go back on that exact same path would be difficult to do again because you haven't left behind a trail yet. But if you were able to kind of figure out, okay, this is the direction I took, and then you kept going down that same path day after day after day after day, over time, you would stamp out the vegetation that was there, the grass, and it would make a path. And after a while, you wouldn't even have to think about where you were going. You wouldn't have to look and see if there was something dangerous there is it would just be automatic. You'd just be walking along, and you'd just be following this ingrained trail. And in the same way as we ruminate over anger, angry thoughts in our mind, those patterns of neurons firing in us become automatic to the point where we get to a place where we don't even have to think about it anymore. Just the mention of that person's name, just the mention of that circumstance or that situation, and all of a sudden, man, our emotions whew, fire up. Because it's just hardwired into us what we think about that situation. And I know just from my own experience that I've laid down those hardwires in my mind by hanging on to things for days and weeks and months sometimes without letting go when I feel like I've been offended in some way. And if you found yourself there or you're there now, the writer of that article uh, had some good news. Go ahead and put that quote up. It says, here's the good news. If you learn to notice these repetitive thoughts, accept that you and your mind are doing this repetition at the moment, and decide to shift your thoughts and attention away from the stuck thought and onto your experience in the present moment, what you are feeling, sensing, or experiencing, you are starting to build a new path. Finally, you get to decide what you think. You have your thoughts. They don't have you any longer. When we refuse to walk those old paths, well, this is, <laughs> this is me talking now. We're done with the quote, right? When we refuse to walk those old paths, the vegetation is going to grow back over that in time. It might take a while, but that path that you made through the woods, it's, it's going to grow back over. I know I go, you know, if you guys go through the trails at Corby Pond and stuff, like I, I can tell you know, how many people have been going over the path. I can tell when people have come in with weed eaters and kept it clear, and I can tell at other times when they haven't, it just grows, and it gets harder, and the, and the, the, the vegetation on the side starts creeping in on the trail. And when we refuse to walk those old paths in our mind, the vegetation starts to grow up, and we don't have to be a slave to it any longer. 
And that's what Paul was talking about when he said, don't let the devil get a foothold. Don't keep going back to those paths and letting the enemy stir up all kinds of things inside you that aren't good. I want you to turn over to James chapter 1. More good advice for us. Page 847. Page 847. Starting in verse 19, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And kind of like uh, Will was talking about here a minute ago. We should be slow to become angry because anger is so often self-centered. And it's predominantly wrapped up in some kind of agenda that we have. And if you think about it, to be, to be quick to listen and slow to speak is really all about being other-centered, about allowing the other person to talk and not trying to just hop in with our agenda right away. And James says that man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. And in his book, Unoffendable, again, I want to share a quote on this point. He says this. He says, why isn't righteous anger ever listed among the things that a spirit-filled life will bring us? If it's righteous, why is it not akin to the fruits of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, gentleness? Why is anger in scripture so consistently lumped in the other lists with things like, say, slander and malice, with no exclusions for the righteous variety? And this kind of gets back to Aristotle's point is sometimes it's even hard for us to discern what really is righteous anger. And so it's better to just not get angry very often, I think. Because I think Christians kind of try to hide behind righteous anger a lot, especially when it comes time for elections. You see some righteously angry people on TV. So I want to acknowledge as we're kind of coming more towards the close of this message here that this is a really big topic and I'm only beginning to scratch the surface. I mean, I could probably do several sermons on this. But when you think about it, Jesus had the opportunity to be angry about a lot of things. And we really only have a couple of instances in scripture and in the midst of a lot of other instances where he, he got really pretty visibly angry. And if you think about it, he encountered one morally corrupt person after another. You read these stories about the people that he encountered, but he was never taken aback by their sin. He was never taken aback by their sin. Not the prostitutes, not the corrupt tax collectors, not the hard-hearted Roman soldiers that mercilessly beat him and nailed him to the cross. No, he was most angry with those who claim to be followers of God. People who corrupted the good news of God's grace, love, and mercy by turning love into, by turning religion into a set of rules, by refusing to forgive their fellow man, by gaining personal profit from religion. Those were the people that set Jesus off. Not the sinners in the world. And so again, are we angry over the right things? 
Are we angry over the right things? And there's a huge connection between anger and fear. Have you ever noticed that? When something that we love or someone that we love is threatened, we can go from zero to 60 on the anger scale like that, right? It's the mama bear syndrome, right? The claws come out. We're like, whoa, man, where did that come from? And so I think it's really important when we start to sense ourselves getting angry that maybe we should ask the question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What's being threatened by this person or that situation? And I think for me, as I kind of tried to look and answer this question for myself, I think a lot of times what's threatened in me when I am offended is I fear about what other people are going to think about me. I fear that my character is going to get dragged through the mud or some people might think that I'm somebody different than who I feel I am, who I think I am, who I want to be. And, and, and it shows me that I think too much about what other people think about me at times. And that's what's threatened in me. And our hearts can be really deceptive. And we can fool ourselves into all kinds of justifications. Again, the Hansen guy from this book is pretty profound. He says this, Oh yes, the heart is deceptive. And that calls for humility above all else. Because my heart isn't deceptive because it fools other people. It's deceptive because it fools me. Read that again. That's why it's so important, guys, that we live in community. That's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with some friends who will help us see the blind spots in the way that we're perceiving particular situations, in the ways that we're deceiving ourselves. If you're a follower of Christ, have you given permission to somebody else in your life to call you out when you're blind in some way and said, hey friend, if it looks like I'm deceived about myself, would you please tell me and not allow me to operate in that way? I think we all need that in our life. And I agree, like he said, that it begins with humility. I think learning how to manage our anger begins with us having a healthy perspective on our own sin, a realistic view of ourselves. We have to remember, like we talked about in our series in Romans a couple of years ago, as Paul says in Romans, that we were once all enemies of God, but that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us in the midst of our arrogance, our pride, our selfishness. And so, in other words, he died for us while he still had plenty of reasons to be angry with us. But instead, he loved us. And even if we've been offended and someone has been evil to us, we're still not let off the hook. Okay? Look at what Paul writes in Romans 12, 17 to 21. He says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Leave room for God's wrath. Let him be the one that sorts it out. But in the meantime, love your enemy. Man, those are some hard words (laughs) to live by. But once again, it's the Jesus way. And you see it time and time again. When he was hanging on that cross and the Roman soldiers were rolling dice to split his clothes up and laughing and having a good old time. I mean, he could have shot lasers through his eyes and zapped all those guys, right? I was trying to think of what is the name of that cat on Saturday Night Live that shoots the laser beams? You've seen that skit where they carry around the cats and they shoot the laser beams? What is that skit called? You guys need to get a life. I need answers to these things quickly. That's, that's all I could see was just laser beams coming out of Jesus' eyes, right? What's that? Laser cats. laser cats. Well, that makes sense. It's not tricky. It's just what you said it was, right? So he could have blasted them with laser cats, but he didn't, right? He prayed for them to be forgiven. That's how he handled that situation, we began with Psalm 4-4. I want to conclude with Psalm 4-4 as well. Let's see what the rest is. I only gave you the first part of the verse. The second part of the verse says this. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Search your hearts. Not the hearts of the people who you feel like have hurt you. How aware are we of our own sin, of the ways in which our actions and our words have wounded and offended other people? And if we can realistically come to terms with the fact that we're just in need, as much in need of God's grace as that person who we feel like has offended us, It helps us to let go of our anger for other people. Realizing that that person is just as broken, just as hurting as we are, just as much in need of God's grace as we are as well. And so the psalmist says, search your hearts and be silent. Instead of ruminating in your mind again and again about how right you are, about how you're the victim, Let God speak into the situation and give you his perspective on yourself, on others, and what his heart would be for how you would handle that. So in your anger, do not sin. And I love the fact that today as we are broaching this topic, which I'm sure that there are things that God is speaking to you about right now, situations you might be angry about, people you might be angry with, We sang a song earlier that says, I am set free. (laughs) Some of you all need to be set free from some sin because of the anger that you're holding in your hearts. And you need to lay that down today. And you need to come to Jesus and say, I've been offensive to you. I've taken your 
mercy and grace for me for granted, and I've been the judge of somebody else's heart, and I can't do that anymore. You need to repent of that and ask for forgiveness and ask God to heal you so that you can love your enemy well and allow God to do what he's going to do in their heart and bring them around whenever he brings them around or maybe never does, whatever. He's going to work it out in the end and you say, God, I trust that you're in charge of that. I'm not going to hang on to it any longer. That's freedom. Because when you're not free, you're bitter. And when you're bitter, you're not much fun to be around. I've been trying to figure out what's wrong with my neighbor lady for years. What is she so bitter about, man? What happened at some point in her life to make her so angry? Like Happy Gilmore, it's because she's got all those tooth and no toothbrush. That's why the crocodile's so angry, right? Where's my mind today? Laser cats, Happy Gilmore, we better pray. We better shut this thing down. Heavenly Father, thank you for your example um, man, it's, it's really challenging to consider why we're angry. What is it that upsets us? Are we angry about the right things? And God, we are so easily offendable sometimes, and we forget who we are and how much of a mess we are and how much our sin wounds other people. But also, God, I, I, there's times when we should be angry and, about injustice, and we're not. And so we're culpable on either side of the scale, and so, God, I pray that you would teach us how to, how to channel this emotion of anger, how sometimes maybe to be more angry about things we ought to be angry about and less angry about things that shouldn't matter as much. Help us find a balance in that. Help us honor you. Help us express our anger in the Jesus way of operating so that it doesn't push people away from Christ but draws them in. Help us to navigate that in a way that honors you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand up and sing today as we close?